Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Sound Weavers podcast. My name is Dr. Rosanna Moore, and I am your host and also the PR and social media wizard with this little endeavor that we're starting right now. So I'm in a Zoom call right now with my wonderful, wonderful colleagues. Above me is Dr. Adam Paul Cordell. He is a violist and incredible musician and pedagogue, and he is our delightful producer who deals with all things legal and technical. Hey, Adam, how are you, my dear? Hi, Rosie. I'm doing well today. Thank you. And below me in this wonderful Zoom call is the equally incredible and talented Dr. Blair Kerner. Um, Blair is a bassoonist and again, educator and just incredible entrepreneur as a musician. And she is our editor. I don't know how she edits out all the things that we chat about and all of the random things where I ask to redo uh, certain sentences, but she is an absolute whiz at it. So hello, Blair. Hello. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you here. It's nice to see you. <laughs> so what is Sound Weavers? What What is this strange little podcast that has popped up on your podcast app? Or more likely, you have been sent this by one of us or a friend of ours. <laughs> Why should you listen to this? And what are we about? And what do we do? Adam, do you want to talk a bit about our mission? Yeah. So um, Soundweavers explores the triumphs and tribulations of the chamber music community uh, through conversations with emerging and established performers, composers, and educators. Um, we speak with these uh, ensembles and composers in um, conversations and uh, interviews uh, to discuss the um, issues and the the work that they do as contemporary and traditional classical jazz and folk musicians in today's um, gig economy. Wunderbar. Now, each of our episodes is generally split into about three sections. The first is performance and composition. The second is education and community engagement. And the final is life skills, or as I like to say, life hacks and administration. <laughs> so I'll talk about the first bit. This is where we introduce the small ensemble or the composer that writes for chamber musicians. Now, the reason why we wanted to get the composers on there is to give them a platform as well. Why we've started this podcast is because as primary chamber musicians in our careers and people who really wanted to pursue chamber music, we found that when we were at university or at conservatoire, chamber music was sometimes left to the wayside and something you had to put together on your own. We are interviewing some of the most incredible groups, whether they've been together for decades or whether they are emerging and just doing really well. It was important to find out what they do and how they've done everything. We're not just going to be talking to classical musicians. We're not just going to be talking to traditional musicians playing your standard Beethoven. We'll be looking at all sorts of genres, whether that be classical, jazz, folk, non-Western ensembles. We may hopefully get a gamelan ensemble on at some mm -hmm. point. People who write, uh, write music or play improvised music or a mixture of both. How you record and tour how you find a work-life balance, fusions with different groups and how to interview for a new player. Note, it is very different from the orchestral audition circuit. <laughs> and finally, weird gigs. 
What's the weirdest gig any of them have ever done? That's always my favorite question. Adam, would you like to talk about the next section? Yeah, so we also speak with all of these groups and artists about um, their education and community engagement initiatives. Uh, something that seems to be very near and dear to a lot of chamber musicians' hearts is the um, commitment to the community in which they live and uh, commitment to education and um, building up students. So um, we speak about this from a bunch of different angles. Um, some of them kind of more traditional audience engagement types of initiatives um, and the uh, interaction with primary and secondary school children uh, in music education programs, as well as your more standard pre-professional training that you might see in the conservatory. Uh, we also speak with these groups about um, social justice initiatives, and especially right now, uh, we've been speaking to a lot of these groups about their experiences related to the Black Lives Matter movement. And, um, you know, this time is just a particularly rich time for um, social justice and um, the need for music to address uh, social change. Very true. Um, so the last section that we are talking about, the third section, is this idea of life skills and administrative and leadership skills. Because whether you run a chamber group or whether you're a composer running your own compositional career, you're essentially running a business. So we want to know a little bit more about how these organizations run, what the logistics are. So how did they get started? How did they get developed? What got them off the ground? And how did they establish the rules and regulations, so to speak, of how they're going to do what they do, what's their mission, et cetera. And then of course, how do they maintain this? So as they continue to grow, how do they divide the responsibilities? Who's the social media marketing person? Who's the one who finds all the funding and does the budgeting? Who's the one that decides to uh, get the tours situated and figure out the hotel rooms or the venue spaces? It's a lot of work to keep these organizations going. Um, and same thing with compositions as well. How do you get these gigs? Where do you get hired from? Um, how do you work and uh, figure out a contract for yourself so you know what um, the expectations are when you're writing for an ensemble? And how to know your worth with that as well, because that's something mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. a lot of us really struggle with, both as performers and composers. How much do you charge for the work that you do? bingo. And then, of course, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're musicians and we don't hold still. In addition to running their own uh, chamber groups, a lot of these individuals also run a festival. So let's say a summer festival that is in their local hometown or an area that they have a connection to. Maybe a workshop series that they do at a higher education institution. Or maybe they do a competition for composers. So they'll do an, uh, an all call. So how do they get funding for this? How do they market it? What is the goal and focus of it? How do they decide to add this on top of everything else that they do. And then of course, in addition to them reflecting upon their you know, connections to chamber groups and their compositional careers, I wanna reflect on themselves personally and how their careers came to be. So in addition to being a part of these groups, they also mostly are freelancers or they also are educators or they also may be administrators. So how do they balance that? And what are the life skills or as Rosie calls it, the life hacks um, that get them through all of 
this. Um, and did they have these coming out of school or was this something they had to develop along the way? And what would their advice be for young musicians and young artists interested in pursuing something similar? What would their advice be on how to be successful in the chamber music field? Absolutely. And this is one thing that is very, very important, uh, especially because we have Blair on board, who is the expert in all of these things. But those of you who are professional musicians or even a student uh, listening to this, we're only just getting to the stage where we're realizing that musicians really need to have business classes. We really need to have be given the skills to learn how to do these things. Up until now, a lot of people have done this through trial and error. And so we mm -hmm. hope through these series of interviews, you can take away what you find useful from these interviews and leave what perhaps isn't going to work for your group. Having covered all of this, who are we? Who are we and why are we talking to you about all of these fun things? Well, let's start off with the very obnoxious British girl in the corner, myself. As I said, my name is Rosanna Moore. I'm a harpist and I'm also an actor. I just finished my doctorate in musical arts from the Eastman School of Music this past year. And much as I've been in Rochester for the past eight years, I'm about to up sticks and move to the other side of the country to start as the harp professor and musician in residence at the University of Oregon. As a performer, I've never wanted to sit still. I never wanted to have an orchestral job. As an aside, I do have a bunch of orchestral jobs. And I, <laughs> I say a bunch, that sounds like I play with everyone, but I do freelance with orchestras. I'm tenured with the Rochester Philharmonic as their second harp. I play with the orchestra of the Southern Finger Lakes, but I've never been someone who is satisfied just sitting in an orchestra and playing the Nutcracker cadenza once every Christmas. I love chamber music because it enables me to work with some of my favorite, favorite people. And also it's a little less lonely than being a soloist. <laughs> Aside from this, I also, as I say, act. I love finding uh, different combinations between music and theater. And for my research, I talk about how you can connect these. So group-wise, part of the reason why we started this is I am in a group with these lovely, lovely two people. I am in, in trio. two groups, in fact. Two groups. <laughs> two groups. Yes, I'm in many things. Uh, I am in Trio Alexander, which is a flute viola harp trio with the wonderful Adam. Our flute player is Dr. Caroline Sonnet. We've been working together for five and a half years at this point, and we do a lot of stuff. We like to do things that aren't just the Debussy trio. <laughs> Although we do love Debussy, don't get me wrong. And with Blair, uh, we founded Hats and Heels bassoon and harp duo. Yes, bassoon and harp together. <laughs> I promise it works, which has, uh, again, allowed us to get very, very creative. Both me and Blair love clothing. Uh, I am definitely a shoe connoisseur. I love irregular choice shoes. And uh, Blair has an especially incredible collection of hats. And so it's ever growing. It's ever growing. Both and, things are ever growing. And can I just clarify, your, the actual name of your duo is a harpoon duo, right? Harpoon, uh, yes. <laughs> harpoon or bop. <laughs> mm. No, there, there is actually a bassoon and harp duo with, um, I don't know the bassoonist's name, but the harpist's name is Sophie Baird Daniels. She is in a bassoon and harp duo called BARP, and it's all in capitals, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> Shout out to Sophie Baird Daniels. She's brilliant. Um, 
so uh, yes, I play with Blair as well. We do a lot of commissioning. And again, because of the theater background, we've started to incorporate a lot of storytelling and obviously fashion in everything we do. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite enough about me. Blair, would you like to tell us more about you? Sure thing. So like Rosie, I have a diverse career. Uh, My name is Dr. Blair Kerner, and I went to Eastman School of Music for my doctorate. And as you've noticed, I'm a bassoonist. So I usually describe myself as a performer, an educator, and a venturer. So as a performer, what does that mean? I'm a bassoonist, and I'm pretty much a performer in the upstate New York area, freelance a lot in a variety of um, symphonies, operas, pits, chamber groups. Um, But I do really lean towards the chamber style of things as well as chamber orchestras. Um, In addition, as mentioned, I work with Hats and Heels, which really focuses on this interdisciplinary mindset, storytelling, and incorporating a lot of different arts forms into our works. We actually recently had done a, a a concert in July virtually, which is a really interesting thing to try to do and, and, and incorporate technology into. As an educator, I'm the bassoon professor at Syracuse University's Setner School of Music. I am also an adjunct at the Eastman School of Music, specifically for the Masters of Arts and Music Leadership Program, which is a new program that's been around for about two years. And I teach at the Eastman Community Music School, bassoon... Woo-hoo! chamber coachings, career uh, summer classes at their summer camp. So I do a lot of that. And then there's this venturer. What does that mean? So a core to what I do and a core to why I am so interested in this podcast is because I like to help others pursue arts for the living. So I'm a career advisor. I'm actually the career advisor at the Eastman School of Music, as well as down at the University of Rochester. And with this, I like to help other artists and other musicians discover themselves by understanding, okay, let's start talking about designing their life and understanding that career is not separated from their individual life. It's a one big thing. So let's talk about all of it. Um, Let's talk about the entrepreneurial and life skills that they're going to need to be successful pursuing these careers. Um, And of course, in addition to these ventures, I like to have uh, ways of contributing to people if I can't connect with them specifically through Eastman or the University of Rochester. So I've published some case studies to help people understand how nonprofits and administration works. I work and, and run the Eastman Leadership Conference and Academy, and I present at a variety of different conferences around career skills as a musician and what it means to get something off the ground. Adam, off to you. So, um, my name is Dr. Adam Paul Cordell. I uh, am a violist, as Rosie mentioned before. And um, it's the best instrument. It's so much better than the violin. And it is. Um, <laughs> though I would not it, tell it, the violinist it. that because I quit <laughs> doing what they do. Um, but, uh, you know, so the thing is um, that I uh, actually uh, came to decide that music was the thing for me uh, when I met Debbie Price, actually, who is a um, violist and chamber music educator in the Columbus, Ohio area where I grew up. And after fighting with my mother valiantly for years and years and years (laughs) and trying so hard not to practice, uh, (laughs) I had a master class with Debbie and fell totally in love with chamber music and then started playing the viola and then decided that I just had to have it all. So um, that was my introduction to chamber music and and the reason why I am a chamber musician today. Um, I currently play with Trio Alexander, as Rosie mentioned before. 
Woohoo. I also play in um, Duo 590 with um, Edith Widayani, who is a um, pianist in the Jakarta, Indonesia um, era, area. And I also play with the Suwara Quartet, which is a piano quartet. And I also work with um, Susan Homiller, who is a vocalist, and Anyago Yarbo Davenport, who is a violinist. Um, so I have been um, quite active in pursuing all sorts of chamber music projects for a number of years now. You're well seasoned, and you are the reason why we work together. We so me and Adam, you make him sound like a steak. You're well seasoned, <laughs> you know. You're a well seasoned uh, steak. Yes, as long so as I'm not well done, I guess that's all that matters. <laughs> no, no, it's a, you're you're very rare, and that's okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's better, but uh, I guess it's all up to taste. Um, yeah. So the um, the thing um, that I do as a teacher, though. Um, which I'm also very committed to is that I run a private studio in where I live in Pennsylvania. And um, as part of that, I teach violin, viola, cello, and chamber music. Um, and I, that is, I have to say, one of the favorite things that I do in my life. Um, again, an inspiration um, from my early days as a chamber musician. Um, I also teach at Gettysburg College, where I teach viola, violin, and chamber music, and music education courses as well. Um, and I uh, am in particularly interested in um, not only chamber music, but also contemporary music, um, which we will see a lot on this podcast. I'm also very interested in um, gender parity in programming. So um, with both Trio Alexander and Duo 590, I've done a lot of work uh, in trying to establish uh, programs that are either fully by women or at least reaching um, uh, parity. And um, I am also, in terms of my research area, I'm very interested in musical gesture and how we can coordinate gesture on a page with how we perform. So um, that's a little bit about uh, myself. And um, Adam, I have a question. Yeah. For those in the room that don't know what parody means. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, it means trying to reach a balance of, um, mm. uh, of uh, the representation based on demographics. So if you're mm -hmm. in a society that is 53% female, then you're going to try to represent that in your programming. Hmm. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And then also I forgot, um, I also have... Uh, a lot of um, really uh, deep commitments to If Music Be the Food, which is a um, mm -hmm. community engagement initiative started by Carol Rodland, um, actually in Rochester. Again, wahoo! <laughs> and now mm -hmm. um, it's it has spread throughout the country and is just an amazing program um, where audience members contribute uh, monetary donations and um and food donations in exchange for admission to concerts. Uh, so anyway, I, I encourage everybody who listens to this podcast to check out whether or not there's one in your area because it's almost assuredly out there. And if there's not, maybe start one. Mm. See, exactly. see, we're bringing everything together. We're bringing together the performance, the life skills, and the community engagement. So, gosh, you guys said a lot. I, I should also add that all of us are 
professional composer pesterers, myself in particular. <laughs> so this is, I do actually have that as a line in my, in my biography. I've got to that stage that I have funny one-liners in my bio. Um, so we do think it's very, very important that we talk about composers who are living right now. And because how do you make a career out of that? Uh, in the same way, how do you make a career out of being a chamber musician? Every five episodes, you will hear the three of us pop up and we will do just a general chit chat session. It will be the, the sound weavers, uh, coffee a coffee cast chat, chat. <laughs> coffee cast chats, uh, where we will talk about perhaps what's going on in the world of chamber music or the world of music, perhaps a rundown of what we've learned from the past few episodes and also what is going to be coming up in future. So always feel free to reach out to us, send us your thoughts. Um, hopefully you enjoy what we do and we look forward to bringing you some wonderful podcasting joy. Our first podcast will be Load Bang. Load on Bang! September, <laughs> on September 9th. So follow us on our Instagram handle, which is Rosie. Yes, we are Sam Weaver's Cast on Instagram, SW Chambercast on Twitter, because SW Cast came up with Star Wars things, which was great fun when we were trying to get all of our handles sorted. Uh, but yes, we are the Sound Weavers cast. We also have a Facebook group. Feel free to reach out to us. Please give us some love and a follow. And we really hope that you find something interesting. And if not, you get to just listen to all of our dulcet tones.